Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Today we have a special episode for New Year's. As the pages of the calendar turn, it's natural to reflect and take stock of both where our lives are and where we'd like them to head in the future. Today's episode is going to focus on getting the most out of that process, and it will naturally lean on some of the material we discussed during the Strength of Aspiration. To help us do that, I'm joined, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to start us off, to ask a kind of funny framing question, are you a New Year's resolutions guy? <laughs> like, do you make a lot of New Year's resolutions? Is that sort of a part of your planning process for the new year? It has been at different times in my life. And as a context, I think about the power of the sacred. I know that sounds really way out there. What I really mean is that it's interesting to step back and look at people across different cultures, Eskimos, people in Manhattan, people living in the middle of Mongolia. The whole range. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so common across all cultures to have rituals of Mm. different kinds, Mm -hmm. things that mark endings and beginnings. And I think the power of ritual cross-culturally and cross-historically really speaks to the place and the power of it in a person's life. And there's a way in which I think we can be so swept along with the bombardment in daily life of a constancy of incoming inputs and a constancy of outgoing tasks that we can lose sight of major markers. So it's completely arbitrary, December 31st, January 1st, this particular point in the orbit of the Earth around the sun. And other people might mark that transition point differently, but still... I think there's a place for stepping out of the stream for a bit, taking stock, and really zeroing in on what's important for you going forward. Otherwise, it's very easy to be swept along by your own habit patterns and, frankly, swept along by external forces Mm -hmm. that are just moving you along to the next, next Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, So that's why I think this is a nice time. It's a, yeah, it's a little dorky, Champagne, Times Square, and Western culture, et cetera. But, you know, however you might do it, I think it's a great opportunity to take stock. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. So in terms of taking stock, what's your process at the beginning of each year or the end of each year for setting those goals or trying to create those new habits? Yeah. One thing I'll often do is to just reflect on the year that happened Mm. and maybe look back through a calendar that helps me remember what in the world I was actually doing in March nine months ago. And let it sink in. Wow, I did so much. Mm -hmm. Wow, so many good things happened. Wow, that's good. And also, frankly, looking back, evaluate and be open to, hmm, a major lesson learned. And to really help that one sink in. So that's part one. Take Mm -hmm. stock. Look back, take stock. See where you've been. And then for the year to come, I find that it's really helpful to zero in on the short list Mm. of one, two, three, no more than five major themes or principles or feelings. And some people do this process with a lot of language in it. Mm. They'll write out these affirmations. Other people are very visual. I tend to be quite visual. Some people, there's a kind of a felt sense in the body, essentially, of where do you want to dwell emotionally? and experientially in the new year. Mm. What's calling your heart? That's another way to put it. Mm-hmm. And those those are examples for me uh, related to this idea of the short list. What's on your short list? As long as you take care of the big rocks in the bucket, everything else will sort out. 
Yeah, that actually reminds me of a practice. I believe that it comes from Warren Buffett is mm -hmm. where I heard this story of goal setting, yeah. where he was talking to somebody about you know setting their resolutions or their goals for the next business year or whatever the context was, or like the 20 things they really want to accomplish in their life. And what he told the person to do is he said, okay, I want you to write a list of everything you want to accomplish, just everything that would really matter to you if you accomplished it. And the guy wrote out, you know, 20, 30, 40 things, something like that. And Buffett said, okay, now you have to rank order it. I'm going to make you rank order it. Okay. And the guy really struggled with this. It was a tough process for him. And he eventually rank orders it. Okay, great, perfect. And then Buffett said, now cross out everything that's not the top five. <laughs> wait, wait, no, Yeah, yeah, no. which, is, which is brutal, right? And actually, the crossed out stuff isn't just don't worry about it. It's mm. avoid at all costs huh, is the way that he framed it. Because those are the things that are going to distract you mm. from the top five things. They're the things where there's a little nudge in that direction that prevents you from maintaining the kind of laser focus on the top five that it will take to actually accomplish them. Now, of course, this is a, a pretty brutal version of this process. Yeah. It's very Warren Buffett. It's very financial institution. Yeah. Um, and it seems like a great strategy if your goal is to like change the world, but uh. may not be the best strategy if your goal is to maximize your individual happiness and mm. fulfillment. So your mileage may vary. But I thought that it was an interesting commentary on the way that we kind of set goals, where yeah. often people will have 20 resolutions mm -hmm. and they'll want to do all these different things. Mm. But generally what's found is that the more resolutions you set, the less likely you are, you are to maintain them yeah. or to accomplish any of them at all. So sometimes it can make a lot of sense to just kind of boil that list down to three mm -hmm. and to be make them three kind of achievable but big ones and be really happy if you achieve those three. Yeah. On that note, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I try to remind myself with this little saying, good crowds out great. Mm, mm -hmm. And just like Warren Buffett was pointing out there, um, we can get caught up in perfecting this and that. That's okay. But it takes us away from what really matters most. Mm -hmm. I also think about this matrix from Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in which he basically says, uh, imagine high, Im high importance, low importance, mm. high urgency, low urgency, and arrange them on two axes, creating a two-by-two two matrix. And you end up with thinking a lot about what's important but not urgent. Mm -hmm. That gets crowded out every day by what's urgent but not really that important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what life is about, if you're going to be effective, including in 2019, is to protect that particular box. Yeah, absolutely. That cell in the matrix of important but not urgent. A second thing I just want to add before we zoom along is to step back and be aware of thoughts and feelings around this process. That would probably be the third thing that has really been useful for me related to this overall process. First, take stock, look back. Second, focus on your short list going forward. Mm -hmm. Third, be very aware of your mind around all this, mm -hmm. such as self-doubt or anticipatory defeat, mm -hmm. that kind of slump where you go, uh. I know I'm not going to stick with it. Yeah. Oh, or others will defeat me. They'll rain on my parade. Or, oh, I, I just couldn't do that. Be really aware of that. Because very often, that kind of mind junk that gets swirled up around 
establishing your intentions and directions for the year, and then even declaring them to other people. So now you've gone public mm-hmm. with what your aims are. Wrapped around that can be a lot of mishigas inside your own mind that is actually really worth being aware of and paying attention to because it's going to really get in your way. So you've already touched on one pitfall here that people often experience in the process of setting goals, you know, having too many Mm. that crowd out the most important ones. I suppose we could say another one that you've mentioned here is that uh, sense of self-defeat, feeling defeated before the process even begins. Are there some other pitfalls or mistakes that you see people make often while they're either being aspirational in general, or here they're specifically setting goals for a new year? Yeah. I've made all these mistakes myself, (laughs) so I'm going to speak from some experience here. Mm -hmm. To build on our little list here that we've got so far, another one that I've seen is for people to not set themselves up to succeed. Mm. In other words, they'll have goals, but they won't realize that to accomplish the goal, they need other resources. Mm. So for example, let's suppose a person, which is pretty common, says, you know, I want to exercise more. I need to exercise Well, to accomplish that goal, maybe you also really need to set yourself up to succeed at it by setting up a subordinated goal, a subsidiary Mm. goal that's in the service of the larger goal of finding a friend who will go on a walk with you every day. Sure. To realize that in order to accomplish this goal, I need to resource myself. I need to build up my resources of various kinds in me and outside me so that I can accomplish my goal. Get real about that. Another thing I've seen people do is they sort of mass their goals early on in the year, feel overwhelmed after a few weeks and defeated, and then give up on the whole thing. Mm. So it helps to sequence your goals for the year. And I think that the 12 months of the typical year are a nice little sequence there. Imagine just getting 12 pages. What are the major headlines, let's suppose, in the year to come for each one of them? What are the big things you want to make sure you will have done by then? Mm -hmm. You can talk about this in different ways. You can have goals in your relationships, goals at work, goals for your spirituality, your personal health, any kind of goals. Drop them in. And as you lay out those 12 pages, Mm -hmm. you literally can even put those 12 pages in front of you in a sequence or on the floor as if they're the steps, 12 steps moving you through the year. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a nice way to kind of array or distribute your major goals over a time scale that gives you enough room to breathe so you can really accomplish them. Another uh, thing I would just add about that, and I'll finish on this, I guess, is I think it's really effective. It's not really a pitfall. It's like an effective way to uh, manifest your goals, to imagine the year unfolding as if your goals are being accomplished along the way. Mm -hmm. What would it look like? What would it feel like? How would you handle different challenges and obstructions to the achievement of your goals? Um, How would it benefit other people for you to move forward toward your goals? How could you imagine them supporting you in different ways? And how might it feel experientially to be moving through your goals in this way, including getting the sense of rewards from them? Mm -hmm. That kind of visualization perhaps aided by these sheets of paper, one for each month Mm -hmm. or some other way you might want to do it, can be very effective. So you imagine it as if it's already happened uh, or if it's happening along the way. And that's a great way also to, of course, train your brain to naturally lean in that direction 
uh, and expect reward along the way. Great. Yeah. And to respond to something that somebody might be thinking right now, if we just told you, you know, don't over goal yourself. And then we also told you, you can lay it out in like a 12 step process. To be clear, there's a key distinction that you're making here implicitly. And it's one that we've made many times in the course of this podcast, which is the difference between kind of process goals and outcome goals. Mm. So any you've made that distinction a lot. Yes, certainly. It's one of my favorite ones. Huh. So any big goal that a person sets, like let's take the example you used, that the, the goal is to improve their physical health and fitness mm. for whatever reason. Yeah. That is made up essentially of many smaller goals, which right. can be pieced out over time, whether that smaller goal be find a friend to go on a walk with, or that smaller goal be go to the park three times a week and be able to do some exercise there, or maybe the goal is sign up for your local softball league or whatever it might be. My point is that in that kind of laid out yearly process, you can have each of those steps be a step towards some larger goal, or you can have each of those steps be in service to some macro goal that you have throughout the year. So with that as a little bit of background, um, when we were in the strength of aspiration, you spoke a bit about the the three big categories of mm. a person's life, um, which you described at the time as love, work, and play. And I'm wondering if you have an approach for setting goals inside of these different arenas or a way that somebody could think about it throughout the year. Yeah, it's a simple, useful structure. And I'm playing a little bit off of as an homage to Freud, uh, who has asked, uh, and I'm going to probably paraphrase some things here. He was asked toward, toward the later part of his life, what's the point of psychoanalysis? And he said, essentially, in his a sort of grim way, well, it's to be a normal neurotic who can love and work. Mm. Liebe und Arbeite in mm -hmm. German. And I thought that was really interesting. And also that for Freud, who has struck me knowing something about his life as a very hardworking and somewhat grim individual, um, he left out play. Mm. And so I want to really add that in there. It's, some have said that we're not really so much homo sapiens as homo ludens, mm. the ape that plays. Mm -hmm. And there's a place for play, broadly defined, however you want to define that. Um, so love and work and play. And I think that's a way to make sure you're not leaving important things out. Some people are really zeroed in, for example, on one of them, like they're serious about play. They've really got that organized, but there are significant untended needs. Overdue maintenance, for example, in the area of love, in their, some of their key relationships. Or alternately, there might be someone who is really clear about their goals with regard to work, but the area of play, mm. of leisure, recreation, of creativity and delight has been shoved aside in their life somehow. So maybe for that person, as they look at 2019, they might think, you know, I have to make more room for that in my life, including perhaps by returning to something that I used to care a lot about, maybe when I was younger, like playing the guitar mm -hmm. or making art of some kind. And I'm going to come back to that. Across all these three domains, love and work and play, one thing has really struck me that's useful to pay attention to. And uh, by analogy, that might seem a little tangential. It reminds me of when I was working for a year for a mathematician in my 20s. This is a job that you know I've spoken of many times. It had many interesting lessons in it. And one of the things that uh, we did were probabilistic risk analyses of various things, perhaps the odds of a nuclear power plant melting down. This is in the mid-70s. 
or the likely cost of some enormous project in Canada, business project in Canada. And one of the things that I really learned from doing that, in which we would model very complicated situations, is the power of little numbers applied to everything. For example, if the rate of increase each year in labor costs over a five or 10-year construction project, say, um, is 6% rather than 5%, that's just a 1% difference. It's a little number, but it's applied to a large fraction, gazillions of dollars of mm. the total cost of the project, and it accumulates exponentially over time. And so that little number that just sort of sneaks in at the bottom of your spreadsheet actually can have a really big impact. Mm. Well, that's a tangential way of getting at the question, which is, as people consider this, what are the little numbers in their lives mm. or the little quantities that actually make a big difference? For example, what's the uh, little number of the number of times each day in any significant relationship, you are uh, clearly being warm, supportive, kind, helpful, and so forth to that other person in a way that they register it, mm. right? Uh, and it's very, very, or how many minutes a day is a parent, for example, spending with a child in which the child has the parent's undivided attention mm pursuing activities that the child themselves really cares about. Mm -hmm. I've asked that question often of parents coming in to see me for various reasons, including their kid has issues. And when you ask that question, usually there's a very sober quiet in the room as each parent really faces the hard question that they're clocking a very small number of minutes, sometimes zero minutes a day mm -hmm. with each of their children and each parent um, spending that kind of a time. Similarly, how much time are you spending actually moving your body each day? How many steps are you taking in a day? And you can think of many other ways in which this shows up. Uh, I used to track how many client hours I was doing each week, especially mm -hmm. when you were young for us and mm -hmm. money especially was really tight and we had to very be very focused. And honestly, clocking you know, 0.7 more client hours in a week did not seem like much, yet multiplied against what I was charging people, and adding up across 50 weeks in a year, mm -hmm. that seven-tenths of a client hour, let's say, each week actually created a significant difference between being incredibly tight and stone broke and actually having a little bit of a buffer, mm -hmm. for example. So I invite people to take a look at what are those little numbers or those little factors that what can you count? What can you observe? What can you measure? Not to be too reductionistic, but just what can you see? in the domains of love, work, and play. And if you pay attention to those little numbers and pay attention to them every day, mm -hmm. they really do add up over time, which is, of course, one of our big themes in this podcast. Absolutely. So one of the primary struggles that people express when they're going through the process of setting New Year's goals is a difficulty with keeping their resolutions yep. that they do set. So... What can people do to stick with their New Year's resolutions over time? I think it's the heart of the matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, what will you actually stick with? And there's a lot of research on the science of behavior change. It's mm -hmm. really interesting. I invite people to check out resources online, literally using the, the search term science of behavior change. Mm 
Great. Because it's being increasingly studied. It, mm -hmm. studied. it tends to be applied to um, healthcare behaviors mm -hmm. like smoking cessation or exercise, for example. But you can apply it to all kinds of other things. Then we have, of course, Charles Duhigg's book on habit. And there's also a lot of material in our book, as you know, Forrest, uh, Resilient, about how to sustain behavioral change. How do mm -hmm. you actually do that? I think the essence of it is to, one, um, have realistic goals. If you think that you're going to jump off a roof and fly, well, I don't care how much you flap your arms, it's just not going to work. So have realistic goals and set yourself up to win. Two, arrange external support. Get support. You don't need to be heroic and individual here. Uh, try to get other people or circumstances to support you. Another is to really observe rewards along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, feel rewarded before you do something, while doing it, and after it, and that's going to tend to keep your keep your brain on that path. And then I guess the last thing I would just uh, uh, say on, on that, which is also a theme that we've covered in this podcast and it's in the book, it's to give yourself over to your better self. Mm. It's, it's give yourself over to it. Um, I think of will in a funny way as surrendering to your best self. And that's an interesting way to regard the will as a based on surrender, but you're surrendering to the best parts of you, which then carry you along. To chime in and give some kind of additional thoughts on this, for me, probably the, the single most important thing to do is to focus on goals where you completely control their outcomes. Hmm. So here's what I mean. And those yeah. are almost always process goals rather than outcome goals. If you set a goal, to use an example that's near and dear to my heart, we've referenced dancing many times throughout mm. this podcast. If you set a goal of like winning the contest, that's not entirely under your control mm. because it has to do with what the judges are thinking at any given moment or who else competes or whatever else. But I can set the goal of being in the studio for two hours a day. Yeah, I can control that. I can control mm. my effort, mm. but I can't control my results. Mm. And I think that that's just been a running theme throughout this podcast yeah. and remains a very central one in this kind of final episode of the year. So to use the example of the three circles mm. that you gave before, it's tough to set a goal for your work life of getting a promotion. Mm. That's a tough goal to keep. But it's pretty easy to set a goal of, I want to be more focused. But there are some problems with that. It's a little vague. It's hard to track. What does more focused mean, really? Okay, so how about this? So instead of setting a goal around that, I'm going to set the goal where every night I'm going to turn off all the screens by a certain time, and I'm going to be in bed by a certain time. So the next day, I am well-rested and ready to attack my work. That's an achievable goal. It's specific, it's tangible, and it's almost entirely under my control. And as a side benefit, it may well result in you getting that promotion that you're looking for over time if the quality of your work improves. So I think that that's a real place to put our focus with doing this kind of goal setting. Forrest, that was really right on. That's well, so you. true. Yeah. And I think also in a context in which that sort of secondary material I was speaking of at the very beginning that is wrapped around setting intentions for the new year and so forth that many people experience. That secondary material, a lot of it has to do with sort of anticipatory defeat, anticipatory mm -hmm. helplessness. Mm -hmm. And you're naming a wonderful way to avoid that by focusing on what is under your control. Mm -hmm. Another tactic that some people use with setting good goals is called the SMART method, mm. and it's a nice little acronym. It stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Based. Mm. 
Yeah. How do you relate that, Forrest? Because I know that's true. But Mm -hmm. I also know another thing is true, that for some people, me included, one of the real fundamental aspects of goal setting is to imagine, how do you want to feel six months from now? Mm -hmm. Or what is it? What do you want it to be like inside your own body in terms of that chronic pain? or an overall sense of vitality, Mm -hmm. or inner peace, or some kind of spiritual or psychological growth over the next six or 12 months. How do you want to feel? How do you you want it to be inside and outside Mm -hmm. for that you, that you are becoming three, six, 12 months from now? And that's a much much more global kind of Mm -hmm. visceral thing. I I was just trying to map it against the SMART acronym and not really getting how you could do that. So how do you see both of those going together? I think that's a great question. And because you're speaking to a more global sense of, for lack of a better word, sensation. It's how we therapists talk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I want to be happier. Well, that's not really very specific or very measurable, and it may or may not be achievable, and blah, blah, blah. I want to feel more loved by my children. Exactly, right? Yeah, for sure. How does it feel? Those kinds of soft emotions (laughs) and and mapping that in like a goal sense, I think is really challenging. So, So here's sort of what I would say to that. To me, those are extreme outcome goals. Huh. is what I would say. I think that happiness is, it's very challenged to make happiness a process goal. You know, that is a ultimate outcome of many different elements in your life. Huh. Now, I think that where we go to this idea of achievable happiness or reliable happiness, which is a phrase that we use in the book pretty regularly, it's about controlling the day-to-day processes that move you towards that global sense of internalized happiness. Mm. So a way that I, a way into that with somebody, maybe somebody, you know, I'm again, not a therapist. So check me on this. But if somebody kind of came into your office and they were saying, I want to be happier, the way that I, my first instinct, at least to approach that would be something along the lines of asking, okay, what are the things that bring you happiness? What are the elements in your life right now that you feel are making you unhappy? What things do you wish would be different that you think would get you to that bigger goal? Because by doing that, we can get a little bit more granular Mm. and maybe find some of the things that get us to that big outcome that we ultimately want. But setting a goal on December 30th or December 31st of next year, I want to be happier. Like, that's a great goal. Mm. But there's no, there's not a clear pathway there. Mm. And I think what's really important about New Year's resolutions and like achievable goal setting Mm. is that there be a pathway to that ultimate end that we're searching for. Yeah, this is rich. I think two things are true. I think there's the question of the result, Mm -hmm. the end, Mm -hmm. and then the means. Mm -hmm. As a point in passing along the way, sometimes the end becomes the means, because it means itself. You know, there's this phrase apparently from Tibet take the fruit as the path. Mm. In other words, take happiness as the path or love as the path, not simply the end result. Second, on this point that you and I are talking about now, you, Forrest, routinely talk about some of the research on affective forecasting, essentially, being basically about the fact that many people are fairly bad at predicting mm-hmm. how they will feel yeah. about X or Y when it actually happens for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I think that's true to a degree. I think it tends to be applied experimentally in research, sure. often to fairly 
artificial kinds of things. And also, more importantly, I think there's variation. Mm -hmm. And we routinely, just to kind of give people who are listening a concrete example, so there you are figuring out what to do for dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. And you're imagining different possible futures, different scenarios that you're going to inhabit. Eating Chinese food, eating Italian food, making dinner at home, going out, warming up leftovers, whatever it is you might do, opening a can of soup. And then you imagine, oh, how would that be for me? Or within with people that you're having an interaction with, or you have to work something out or see tomorrow or talk with tomorrow, you imagine, you know, I should say this, or, you know, I shouldn't say anything at all. Yeah. And then you imagine how that would be for you. So we do that kind of so-called affective forecasting inside the simulator, where you imagine how it will be. I think that the better the people get at affective forecasting, the more that they can uh, plan their life well, including in the coming year. And so for me, one way into that is to try to imagine in a sort of bottom line felt way how you'd like it to be for you. Uh, and then also, as you're getting at, get very clear about what's the path there. I think for a lot of people, if they imagine by next summer, mm-hmm. it's kind of within range, you know, sure. six months or so. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say, you know, I'd like to be less frazzled. I'd like my kids to get on my nerves less. I'd like to be less preoccupied with a bunch of political hooey that I can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to feel more of a sense of well-being and less like there's sort of nagging kind of sort of semi-illness in the background Mm. in my physical health. I'd Mm -hmm. like that to happen. I'd like to wake up in the morning more rested Mm -hmm. than I typically do. Yeah. Something like that. People, People would say that and that's meaningful to them. And I think imagining how you want to feel deep Mm -hmm. down inside yourself Yeah, to clarify, and I think this is a great point that you're raising here, I'm not opposed to kind of big tent goals. But for me, this is about clarifying at what level of the house your goals are operating at. I think that what you're describing is wonderful and is a great way into finding real goals. Because starting from, you know, what's really important for me next year is getting a really just better baseline of physical health. Mm-hmm. I want to really reduce this feeling in the back of my mind where I just feel kind of low energy a lot of the time. And just just a feeling of sort of, as you were describing, kind of aging and illness in the body. Yeah. Great. That doesn't necessarily apply to like the smart path for building good goals or whatever it is, but it's a great framework. And then I think what's important is the realization that like just having that as a goal is not going to get you anywhere, frankly. Having like happiness as a goal is not going to get you anywhere. It's a great starting point, but it doesn't get you to happiness. Wanting to feel healthier is a great starting point, but it doesn't get you to health. Right, for what, sure. What you need gets you there is the yeah. path. It's yeah. the steps along the way. Yeah. So one way to do this is to take a piece of paper and to write out at the top of the paper in the header that big tent goal. I want to be happier. I want to have a better relationship with my children. I don't want to feel as ill. And then then to do a little arrow down and to write out kind of a middle tent goal, if you want to kind of put it that way, where I want to go to the gym more often. Or every day I'm going to, or I want to improve my relationship with my like eldest son, you know, get a little bit more specific. 
then write an arrow down, and then get to a real process goal. Every day, I want to really check in with my children and ask, how was your day today? I want to just make that a regular practice where every time when they come home from school, I say, hey, I love you. How was your day? Or every day, I want to do something athletic. It can be as little as walking around the block. It can be as big as going to the gym. And I think that that's actually a great way to structure real goals. I think on those great levels. Idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of experiential and soulful, mm-hmm. however you want to talk about it. Sure, yeah. People get sometimes overly prescriptive, I think, about the right way to language goals. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, totally. Find what speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And then inside that, you betcha, list those actions, especially sustained over time, they're going to move you forward. Yeah, that's great. and I think that's a good way to think about it. And it sort of marries that kind of soft, big tent, you know, um, the feeling in the body, here's what I want to feel like, here's what I want my life to quote unquote be like, all of that good stuff, which I'm super in for. I'm super down for all of that. Are you sure it doesn't make you feel like fingernails on the chalkboard? No, 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 no. Kind of touchy feely lingo coming at you? (laughs) I mean, there are certainly some self-help tropes as listeners of the podcast are probably aware of at this point that do tend to kind of raise my hackles a little bit. Um, But this is not one of them. This is all okay. I just think where people get into trouble is where they live entirely in that territory without drilling down to action. So that's my only kind of meta commentary that I'm making here. Yeah. So we ended up kind of wandering down the rabbit hole there a little bit. Um, but do you have any other kind of general thoughts, suggestions in the, the whole territory of setting New Year's resolutions or making good goals? Yeah, I think I'd like to offer three things briefly. One is to underscore a point I made previously about the quote unquote little numbers. What I mean by that is focusing on those seemingly small things that actually add up a lot over time. Like how many hours a day are you actually on task mm-hmm. in ways that you want to be? Mm-hmm. Second, I just want to share a potentially dorky technique that I use myself that's actually been very meaningful to me as, as you've seen me do, mm-hmm. which is fairly often I'll make a collage yeah. with my intentions uh, for a particular year or how I want to be about a particular topic like relationships or career. And um, I'll take a number of hours to flip through a whole bunch of magazines, pulling out pictures and words and then winnowing them down and cutting them carefully and gluing them to my board and moving them around till it's just kind of the way I want to have it. That gives me a feeling of, okay, that's both the path and the fruit. Mm-hmm. That's how I want it to be uh, as a result. And that's also the methods I want to use to get there along the way. And people might have other things, but doing collages that are both uh, verbal and nonverbal can really be effective for you. The last thing I just want to say about all this is to stay in the present moment. Mm. Even though we've spoken a lot about the future, the undiscovered country, as the proverb says, and uh, our path into the kind of future we'd like to have for ourselves and for other people. Mm -hmm. Along the way, it's so important to not get lost in the present, Mm -hmm. but to come into the present moment, hang out here, recognize that as the great scientist in the Middle Ages, Francis Bacon said, we have only this moment of now sparkling in the hand like a diamond and melting like a snowflake. Kind of wow, right? And that was a scientist who said that, like a poet. 
sparkling in our hand like a diamond and melting like a snowflake. That's the present moment, now and now and now, our true home. And it's really important to occupy and and inhabit our own true home, mm. even as in that home we are planning for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And I think that's a great note to kind of close our episode on. As one kind of final thought to offer myself, Yeah, I just want to underscore something that you alluded to earlier, which is this idea of creating a personal environment that is supportive of your goals. The unfortunate reality is that much of the time, our friends, our family, our work environment, our whatever, are actually not very supportive of the goals that are important to us in our own lives. To use a kind of over-the-top metaphor for it, and apologies if this is a bit of a trigger warning for some people, like it's hard to get clean if you're living in a crack house. Mm. Just bottom line. If you're surrounded by negative influences of various kinds, particularly if they correlate to something that you're trying to remove from your life, that's a real challenge. And so a lot of achieving our resolutions, in my opinion, really comes down to finding ways to affect our environment, including try doing our best to sort of slowly untangle ourselves, a topic we've touched on many times throughout the podcast, from situations and environments that are problematic for us on Mm. one of many levels. So I would just like to leave that as a final thought, in addition to the uh, beautifully poetic note (laughs) that you closed us on earlier. So today we spoke about setting effective New Year's resolutions. I started by asking you if you were a New Year's resolutions person, and you mentioned that really nice note about kind of the importance of ritual of various Mm, kinds. And, you know, regardless of whether or not it's the new year or just another day, as some people would say it, it's kind of nice to find a moment in the year to really look back over what's happened and then forecast for the future. We touched on some of the pitfalls that people experience in the making of goals, and you gave some good suggestions for framing goals generally. We spent some time describing different arenas within which a person could make good goals, specifically the areas of love, work, and play. And you particularly spent some time emphasizing play as an important place to make goals as well. We then talked a lot about the specificity of goals and the idea of kind of starting with maybe a big picture intention, but then drilling down to more granular things that we really know that we can control and accomplish on a day-to-day basis. So regardless of whether or not the big picture comes true, at the very least, we have made good efforts and we know ourselves in the back of our minds that we have done the best we can. So thank you again for listening to the Being Well podcast this year, and we hope you'll keep supporting us in 2019. We absolutely plan on coming back with a whole new run of episodes, and we're both really looking forward to where the podcast goes from here. Until next time, thanks for listening.